This is A-State Connections on KASU. I'm Jonathan Reeves. This is a weekly segment called A-State Connections and Create at State, Making Connections That Count. In this episode, we get an update on research that's been taking place involving a species of endangered bats in Arkansas. In this interview, I talk with Vice Provost for Research and Technology Transfer and Executive Director of the Arkansas Biosciences Institute, Dr. Tom Risch, and graduate student in biological sciences at Arkansas State University, Heather Custer. I talked to both of them on Zoom, and I started with Heather. And Heather, I know you've been working on the, the, uh, on this project, Female Indiana Bat Spring Migration and Maternity Colony Project. Tell us about, I know we had you on previously, and you were giving some fascinating uh, looks at the research that you've been doing. Has, has COVID-19 impacted what you've been doing, or... Have you still been able to, you know, keep your research going? Uh, so actually this field season, we were still able to proceed as normal. Um, I would say the only difference was we were more careful about how many people were out in the field with us. And we made sure to uh, wear proper PPE while out in the field. So of course we were wearing gloves, we had our N95 equivalent mask that we were wearing when we were around other individuals and, of course, around bats. And we were wearing uh, site-specific clothing. So as we would leave the site, when we were done for that day of work, we would change our clothes and uh, put those set of clothes in trash bags and make sure we cleaned them properly when we went back home. Uh, there has been some discussion back and forth. So we actually um, started installing guano collectors, which allowed us to do more of a passive monitoring technique. So we were collecting guano and we just sent that out today for guano analysis. So in our effort to reduce handling of bats, we're collecting guano having um, genetic analysis ran on this guano and they'll send us the results and let us know what species that we're working with this summer. Fantastic. Tom, I wanted to ask you, kind of tell us about how this research project that Heather's been involved in got started. Just remind us about that if you don't mind, please. And then Heather, we're going to turn it over to you to be able to kind of walk us through kind of where you were and what you've been working on recently, if you don't mind. So Tom, could you please start? Well, I remember conversations that I had with the United States Forest Service in the Ozarks as long as 18, 19 years ago about this particular research project. So the idea is, is that we've always been aware of this species hibernating in some of the caves in the Ozarks, but we never knew until where they uh, bred in Arkansas. And the idea of protecting their breeding habitat is very important. In fact, the Endangered Species Act mandates that if you do any kind of major constructions of highways or developments where you're clearing uh, several acres of land, that you need to survey for this species to make sure that you aren't going to disturb their breeding colonies. And that can be quite expensive. It's a very specialized skill to go out and survey that. There's uh, extensive permitting that's required from U.S. Fish and Wildlife to do the work. So Arkansas has always been interested in getting a better handle on where these 
animals are breeding. When they leave the caves, where do they go? And being bats, they migrate at night. They can cover considerable distance, as you'll learn as we go through the, uh, Heather's work. So there, there was an intense interest in knowing this. Oh, about four years ago, it started to get serious with funding agencies, which included U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Game and Fish, U.S. Forest Service, and Arkansas Highway Department, RDOT, because they have a, an interest in decreasing their expenses and not areas where we know the bats are not. So the idea was to figure out where the bats are so that we could get a better informed survey area, which would uh, cut expenses for Arkansas uh, Department of Transportation. So I started recruiting a student and met Heather, and she's been perfect for the project. Fantastic. So Heather, kind of give us an update on what it is that you've been working on there and uh, bring us up to speed. So last time we spoke, we were anticipating our second field season. So our 2019 field season had yet to be started. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of catch you up on what happened last year. So we actually started at a cave in West Arkansas near the Ozark National Forest. Um, at this cave, it's known to have um, Indiana bats inside, so this was going to be our target area for the season. So this relates back to what I was talking about, where we were well aware of where these uh, bats were hibernating. It's relatively simple to find them in these caves, and they're surveyed and, counter and counted uh, actually biannually. Have a good idea of where they are in the winter, but we had no idea where they were in the summer habitat. Yeah, so we actually did a cave survey prior to the radio tagging event just to make sure that we did have a good number of Indiana bats inside of this cave before we went in to hand collect individuals to radio tag them and track them. So this is just one of many small clusters of Indiana bats. Um, you can see they do like to cluster in very tight groups. A common name for them, um, aside from Indiana bat, is the social bat. So um, they really like to get in there during hibernation and be close together. You can also see on here that we have some metal-lipped bands on their forearms. And that's actually a uh, indicator that these bats have been captured before. And there's a little alphanumeric code on these metal bands, letting us know when they were caught and what date they were caught. We can also um, pull some other data as far as if they had wing damage before from white nose syndrome, their weights, uh, if they're growing, if they're losing weight, so kind of monitoring the general health of these bats as well. And you know, and that must be a challenge being able to try to capture bat. How do you do that? So for this particular project, we're actually going into these caves and hand collecting these bats from the ceilings and the walls of the cave. So we have bat biologists that go in here that have a lot of experience doing this and they'll wear uh, their caving suits, their proper PPE, so their gloves, 
and they'll go in. Sometimes we have to use ladders, step stools if they're too high up on the ceiling. But typically we're able to just reach up and grab them. We'll place them in cloth bags individually and then we move them over to this data collection station. And what are some of the things that you're looking for? Uh, is it the weight? Is it you know, trying to determine the species, wings? What is it that you're looking for? So we try to identify the species prior to hand collection. Since we are just targeting female Indiana bats, we will also try to identify if the bats are male or female prior to bringing them out of the cave. And this is just to reduce disturbance to non-target bats. So once we have them at this collection station, we'll um, gather some general data from each bat. So this includes the weight of the bat. Uh, we'll look at the forearm measurement. So this also helps with identification. We'll look at any wing damage. And then after we've collected all of those data, we will move individuals to our radio tagging station. So you can see there's several of us working all at once. How many people are working with you on this, Heather? Um, each stage varies. So I've had many individuals come out and volunteer their time through the different stages of this research. Um, in the beginning, we, we actually work with Copperhead Consulting. So they're a consulting firm located in Kentucky. And they're really, you know, they've been the backbone of this research as far as, you know, giving us information um, of how we need to proceed with the research, uh, letting us know how to actually track bats. They do a lot of the aerial tracking for us. Um, so typically in the beginning, when we're doing the radio tagging, we'll have anywhere from five to 10 individuals. When we're doing the actual tracking, that's when we'll split up into different teams. So there will be one or two of us in a group tracking at a time. Um, we do eventually get to a point where we radio tagged more individuals at the maternity colony, which I feel like I'm jumping the gun on the exciting news from last year. But um, I had a lot of individuals from different agencies and groups come out and help, as, uh, including Arkansas State students. A lot of the other grad students came out and volunteered their time to help out. So people will go in and they'll target these clusters that are Indiana bats, bring out the females, we'll glue these radios on them. And while we're doing that, there's one to two planes circling above us that antennae on them and that are tuned into the frequency we're using. Mm -hmm. So when the bats are released, then the plane takes over. The plane will give us coordinates uh, at the end of the night when they're done flying, when the bats have stopped. And then Heather and her team will go out to those locations and locate the bat on the ground. So initially, they, they typically stage around the cave until the weather is just right, and then they'll take off. And the hope is that we have a plane in the air that night that can keep up with them while they're moving. Uh, have we found that there's been uh, a problem with, uh, with bat populations 
they're you know decreasing or are they starting to increase or if I'm jumping the gun on that just please let me know and I'll, I'll let you continue with what you're talking about there Heather oh no it's it's no problem it's definitely you know the main factor of why this research is occurring so Indiana bats were listed as um, endangered in 1967 and they've remained listed as federally endangered ever since. As far as population numbers go, the, the really big issue here is that going back to that picture of the cluster of Indiana bats, we have certain caves in their range in our country where we have hundreds of thousands of Indiana bats roosting together during hibernation. So if you think about one of these caves being flooded or a really bad freezing event where these bats are affected, it can potentially wipe out a very big number of bats overall. So that's really one of the main factors about their um, listing as endangered still. Of course, we're still seeing human disturbance of habitat areas. This includes habitat during the winter. So we're looking at caves and mines that they'll hibernate in. This also includes habitat during the summer. So if we're having a lot of logging um, done at these areas that they're migrating to for the summer, there's the big potential that we're removing those trees or those dead trees that they're needing to use as habitat to give birth to their pups and raise them to help boost the population or to help keep it stable. So bats uh, are facing big trouble overall right now because of an introduced disease that's been uh, in the U.S. for about 14 years. It's killed uh, tens of millions of bats. Uh, it's called white-nose syndrome. And they're also impacted by wind energy, so the turbines will kill bats. And a million bats a year are killed by wind turbines in North America, according to studies. So overall, bats are declining quite rapidly. Uh, they provide us a lot of services. For instance, they eat insects that save farmers billions of dollars in uh, yield and pesticide use. So mm -hmm. they provide this ecological service. So they're really important for us, um, and they've been uh, going down in their numbers. So that's part of the concern with this research. And as Heather mentioned, this particular species has been uh, listed as endangered as long as we've been listing endangered species in the United States. For those of that can't see this image, we have a black dot in West Arkansas, right outside of the Ozark National Forest. And that's representing the cave where we hand collected our female Indiana bats that year. We had one bat travel to Missouri, which you know in this case is expected, but we actually had one individual start migrating east towards Jonesboro, which was pretty exciting. So over about three nights, she traveled 122 miles. And we did locate a roost tree for her in the Arkansas Delta at Shari Bay Rainy Break Wildlife Management Area. Uh, we didn't confirm it as a maternity colony until after 
May 15th, and this is just based off of Fish and Wildlife guidelines, but we were able to finally um, confirm a maternity colony in the state of Arkansas for this specific project. So again, you know, the plane follows the bat. We get the roost locations during the day. It looks like we have one there in Sharp County where the bat started. And you're never quite sure when they're gonna stop, but you have some clues. So in this case, we're right along the Black River, the species known to, to often have their maternity colonies near rivers because the flooding events of the river kill trees and then you have standing dead trees with bark that's peeling off or what we call exfoliating bark. They get underneath the bark and that's where they raise their pups. It's harder than a needle in a haystack. It's like finding a bat in the state of Arkansas and without the radios and the airplanes, we'd never be able to find this maternity colony. Um, actually, this area had been netted by other consultants that the state hired to go look for the species, but they weren't successful cap capturing them in nets there on site until we followed them there with the plane. And, and I would imagine what makes it fascinating is, is that not only are you trying to save a species, but if you're having to deal with state agencies that are working with maybe creating highways or, or doing other things, they may not realize that there is an endangered species like bats and others y'all are trying to save. And, and that might, you know, that partnership between Arkansas State and others, you know, you all can work together to be able to help, uh, you know, prevent any further damage to the population. That's right. There's regulations and uh, RDOT is well aware and we work with them on some fish surveys and endangered mussel surveys when, when they're putting in bridges. So they're, they've been a, they're a great partner in conservation uh, by following the rules and doing this, help, help fund this kind of research. So you wanna pick up on what we found uh, when we got to the wildlife management area? Yeah, definitely. Tom mentioned the flooding in this type of area so this is actually the roost tree that we tracked this one female to from West Arkansas. It is very flooded at this WMA and it actually remained flooded from I believe early April to early May. So it was pretty difficult to monitor um, you know, if this was an actual maternity colony or not, because the flooding prohibited us from entering where we tracked this bat to for quite a long time. So we ended up actually misnetting, which is another way of capturing bats along paths and roads around the surrounding area in attempts to capture Indiana bats but it did not go as planned. We caught several other bat species. So we were capturing a lot of different bat species, but not our target species. Uh, so I think we, we ended the project for about a week just to wait for the flooding to go down. And we went back in early June and we actually were checking guano collectors that we had placed on the roost tree that we located. And 
we had guano in these collectors and I could hear bats squeaking. So at this point, we were able to confirm this as a maternity colony for Indiana bats. We ended up miss, or we ended up misnetting the roost tree to capture additional female Indiana bats, which we put radio transmitters on eight additional females. And we tracked them across the WMA for about two weeks. Uh, we found other trees that they were using at the WMA. The smaller area cut out to the right side is a map of the WMA. So we had two primary roosts that we located, and then we had uh, five alternate roosts that we found. So these alternate roosts were being used for maybe one night or two nights at a time. Um, and then the primary roosts were being used by a bigger number of bats for consecutive nights in a row. But one of the uh, challenges that Heather has to contend with is that when you think about doing this kind of radio telemetry, a lot of people might think about a collar on an elephant or an elk or something like that. So you have a large animal that can carry a big radio with a big battery on it. But with uh, an animal that weighs less than two nickels and the radio that we glue onto it actually only weighs about a third of a gram. So this tiny little uh, radio with a tiny little battery, and the battery only worked around two weeks. So you followed across the state, you know, it might not have taken out a while, and so we're a week or more into the battery life by the time it gets there. Wow. It educates it, but it's completely flooded, so you can't go in there and really do anything because it's uh, not only is it flooded, it's a river, it's got flow through it, it's fairly dangerous. So I wait for the water to go by, and at, at that point, your battery's dead. But you put up the guano collectors, you know, they're still there. Then you go back in with nets, try to catch some new ones, put radios on them so you can figure out what they're doing in the area where you track them to. And that's what uh, that map was showing, some of their foraging areas where they're going out at night. And again, those data were collected with uh, airplanes. Wow, that's fantastic. So Heather, as you continue on with this research, how uh, how will you continue to, to go through the next, I think you said through maybe the next, you know, couple of months, several months, you're still going to be working on this research. Uh, kind of tell us about what, what, what will be the overall objective, the overall goal uh, that you hope to be able to have, you know, kind of what your main takeaway from the research will be, what you hope. Um, so I would say the main goal is just to be able to locate and identify those maternity colonies uh, in Arkansas specifically. So we can, you know, target those areas and protect them and manage them for the future. Um, we also, you know, we want to know how big our maternity colonies are that are here in Arkansas. And it's also important to try to identify their migration paths because, you know, there's other threats that they can face while migrating such as wind turbines. So if something's being placed in their migration path that may you know, potentially hurt them or actually um, kill them, that we wanna know that these areas where wind turbines are being placed are in those migration path flyways. So as I mentioned, they're using these uh, dead trees with uh, peeling bark on them or exfoliating. Mm -hmm. 
So if your breeding site depends on a dead tree, well, eventually it's going to fall over. And when we discovered where these bats were in this wildlife management area, you look at the tree and go, hey, that's about to fall over. So what we did in cooperation with our partners, uh, now we got Craighead Electric. It was Craighead Electric, right, Heather? Yes, that's correct that we got them involved and they donated some uh, telephone poles. So we got equipment out there in the woods and right near where the natural tree they were using, uh, we put up three telephone poles. And the magic thing about the telephone poles is that they have fake bark on it. And it's bark that's like designed for movie sets and things like that, that partners at Copperhead Consulting started using in this way. And within days, we documented that the bats were starting to move into these structures that we put up for them. When you went back this year, the primary roost tree had fallen over, hadn't it, Heather? Um, we had a portion of the top actually fall off, and then there was zero bark on the, the dead tree at that point. So completely unusable for bats but they had moved into these fake roost sites, these uh, telephone poles that we had put up for them. So that's part of what we're doing is uh, trying to enhance this habitat because they're a funny species that uses this very temporary site, ephemeral as we say. Uh, they're perfect for about a year or two and then they fall over. So, you know, we control flooding in their environments and it's thought that that might be one of the reasons that they're threatened and endangered is because they don't have the natural recruitment of dead trees by river flooding. So what we did was we put in these artificial roost sites and they took to them. So when we went back this year, the whole colony was in an artificial roost. So we were quite pleased with that outcome. So part of the research is also to enhance their, uh, their uh, habitat. Overall, Dr. Ish, uh, I know you've got to be very pleased with the work that Heather has been doing on this uh, and, and this project and, all, and, and also the other graduate students and others who have been kind of jumping in to be able to help. You know, your thoughts on this research? It's been fantastic. So it's been challenging because it's multi-agency, as you pointed out early, and Heather has been dealing with all this. We have planes going out at night, and then we have planes flying grids during the day to look for these bats while they stop during the days and they roost in trees. And Heather coordinates all these data and makes sure that we get people on the ground if we do have signal locations to follow up on. And then Heather's also brought a lot of creativity to the project, working with the guano collectors and finding people that can analyze the DNA from the guano so we can confirm species and things like that. And uh, so the research has gone on, really goes on from early spring when the bats first come out of hibernation into the fall when they start to fly back to their hibernation sites. So now Heather goes out weekly and she sits by these uh, roost sites and counts the bats that come out. We have a good idea if they're coming or going, when their pups start flying and things like that. And it, it's just been wonderful. And uh, 
getting those uh, artificial structures out there was just a huge plus and it was so much fun to see how quickly uh, the bats took to them once we put them up. Dr. Tom Risch is Vice Provost for Research and Technology Transfer and Executive Director of the Arkansas Biosciences Institute. And Heather Custer is a graduate student in biological sciences at Arkansas State University. To hear more interviews like this one, you can subscribe to the Created State podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And take KASU with you wherever you go and listen to podcast segments on the new KASU mobile app. Tell others about the Created State podcast and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as we would love to hear from you. You've been listening to A-State Connections and Create It State, making connections that count. I'm Jonathan Reeves. Jonathan Reeves.